Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show Podcast. There is a lot to talk about today, and I'm going to be covering, well, the trials. There are so many trials going on. One place I don't want to be right now is the ninth floor at CCB in Los Angeles, because I'm sure the lines for the elevators and metal detectors are absolutely miserable. But we have an update on the Kevin Spacey verdict. We have Danny Masterson and Harvey Weinstein both on trial on the same floor in downtown Los Angeles. And the Daryl Brooks trial is rocketing towards closing arguments. We're going to talk about my coverage of that for the last few days as we're getting towards closing arguments as I record this. If there is an update on that case, I will put it in the description and along on the QuickBits channel and my social medias if by any chance something massive happens after this is recorded, before this episode comes out. I expect that we might get a verdict the day this episode goes live. And today we have to thank our sponsor, Green Chef. With Green Chef, dinners work for you, not the other way around. Enjoy time-saving recipes packed with fresh produce that let you eat well without sacrificing taste. Go to greenchef.com slash emilybaker135 and use code emilybaker135 for $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. Thank you, Green Chef. Today, we're we're just not going to be monetized on any platform. So our sponsors truly help support the show, as do you, because we're going to be talking about some very difficult topics that need to be discussed. The testimony coming in in the Masterson case and the Weinstein case and the Spacey case is difficult and sensitive testimony. I am not going to get into all of the details, but we are going to talk about some of it with regard to the Weinstein opening statements and what the defense is arguing. But I will link articles below if you want more details on what's being testified to in these cases. So yes, the subject matter of this podcast is difficult because it deals with two trials regarding rape and sexual assault, but I will not be getting into all of the details of those testimony because I know how many of you in the audience want to keep up with these cases, but also don't want it to also be triggering for you. And I completely understand it. I think we can talk about what's going on in the legal of these trials without getting into all of the details of the testimony. And that's what we're going to be doing today. And then at the end, covering the Daryl Brooks sovereign citizen trial with him representing himself that has just been, yep, it's been something else. We should roll the intro. We have a lot, just a lot to cover today. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. It's October, and you know what that means. It is time for all the most delightful Halloween candy, including candy corn. Don't come at me. They're delicious, but they do get stuck in your teeth. And Quip has you covered. Thank you, Quip, for sponsoring this segment of the Emily Show podcast. Not only does my family love their lightweight and easy brushes, but their travel pocket floss is so helpful. I love knowing that I have something that I can just put into my purse. It has a mirror in it and I can make sure that I'm handled and I'm not throwing away those plastic floss picks all over the place. And I'm not having to wrap it around my fingers because with my nails, I can't, it's just not even easy. (laughs) I love it. And the refills just come to you on subscription. Their toothpaste is a family favorite in both mint and watermelon, whatever your preference. Good health starts with good habits and quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. Find out why over 7 million mouths love their toothbrush and use our code to support the show and get your first refill free. If you go to getquip.com slash Show right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's right. Getquip.com slash Show, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Emily show quip the good habits company. Let's get back to today's show. 
The first thing we're going to talk about is the verdict in the Kevin Spacey civil case. We talked about that case last week um, and that it was in trial. This jury came back in just a little over an hour, which is a pretty quick verdict in a civil case. But we went over the charges, well, claims last week because it is a civil case. And when we went through those, they are all related to the same incident and they are not super varied. So if the jury found there wasn't enough to hold Kevin Spacey liable, then going through those three claims isn't going to take a ton of time. And we're going to Law 360 first today. On October 20th, 2022, the Manhattan federal jury took just over an hour to reject claims that Kevin Spacey had sexually assaulted actor Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp was a teenager in 1986. This jury was down one juror because of a back injury. So it was 11 jurors that deliberated. Again, this is a civil case. So the number of jurors is not the same in every jurisdiction as it needs to be in a criminal case. So the panel of 11 had deliberated for an hour and 20 minutes before clearing Spacey of any liability in the civil case. Spacey's attorneys patted him on the back as the verdict was read. Rapp filed the suit in 2020 under the New York Child Victims Act, alleging that Spacey pinned him uh, to a bed when he was 14 years old and Spacey was 26. Spacey denied the allegations when he took the stand during this trial before Judge Kaplan. As Spacey's attorney left the courtroom on Thursday, she told Law 360 that she and her client were, quote, very grateful that the jury saw the truth. Mr. Spacey is going to be proving that he's innocent of anything he's been accused of, the attorney said while speaking to reporters outside of the courthouse. A lawyer for Rapp said the jury spoke when asked for comment on the verdict. Neither Spacey nor Rapp addressed reporters. In a statement posted to Twitter later, Rapp said he's deeply grateful for the opportunity to have his case heard before the jury. Quote, bringing this lawsuit was always about shining a light as a part of a larger movement to stand up to all forms of sexual violence. Rapp wrote, I pledge to keep on advocating for efforts to ensure that we can live and work in a world that is free from sexual violence of any kind. And that is what happened in that civil case. And we are seeing these three very different cases of Hollywood on trial all at the same time. I think the results might be different, again, between this civil case and the criminal cases that we're going to talk about. And with that, we are going to move on and talk about what's going on in the Masterson trial, because there's been a lot happening in court back in Los Angeles on the ninth floor of CCB. As I talked about in last week's podcast, the testimony of the alleged victims of the Danny Masterson case was underway. The opening statements were fiery and the defense and the prosecution have shown that this is a case that is not going to be collegial between the attorneys. It, it came out guns blazing, if you will, when it came to this case. We've already seen multiple requests for mistrial, and we're going to talk about one of those in just a minute. We've already seen the judge basically say to the DA, calm down on the Scientology stuff. We need to rein it back a little bit because we're using that to illustrate and to discuss why the accusers in this case, the alleged victims, came forward so much later and who they came forward to initially and why they were concerned about going forward to police, but not more than that, and trying to keep that balance in this trial. So as I am recording this, this is today, October 24th, that this all happened. The first witness on the stand today in the Masterson case was Sean Fabos, a friend of Jane Doe, number one, uh, Jen B, and an employee of her parents in the early 2000s. So we're going to go to reporting from Deadline, who has uh, been in court and has been providing kind of updates throughout the day in these trials because they have people in the courtrooms. These cases are not being televised or uh, put out by audio in any way. It's just the reporting coming out from the courtroom. So what they are reporting is shocking the court out of a Monday morning lethargy Fabos testified to L.A. County Deputy District Attorney Reinhold Mueller that he had been approached by the defense team's private investigator in the hall outside the courtroom the afternoon of October 20th while waiting to give testimony. The witness said that the P.I. had asked him whether he had been on a trip to Florida with Jen B. and her family. Having met with the L.A. DA's office around noon that Thursday, the witness today said that the question from the P.I. caused him to remember the trip and to inform the prosecution 
later that evening. Cohen, the defense attorney, took to the court podium enraged over statements and questions from Mueller over Favos's conversation with the PI. So the defense attorney did not like the way that the DA was questioning this witness about their conversation with the defense private investigator. It goes on to say that, however, the judge did deem Favos a quote-unquote hostile witness and termed him evasive as Scientology's presence again loomed large over the case. What that means for hostile witness, and I've been asked this a lot on live streams talking about the Brooks case, a hostile witness does not just mean someone who's angry or doesn't want to answer questions. That's not the term of art in the legal term when you're like, ooh, hostile much. Not exactly what it means. It means that the party that called the witness, so in this case, the district attorney's office, calls the witness and the witness is not answering their questions. It doesn't mean they're being mean, though often that happens as well. It doesn't mean they're being mean, but it means they're not answering your questions. Having them deemed a hostile witness means that the party that called them can now ask leading questions like a cross-examination. They don't have to stick to the open-ended questions like a direct examination. So it's more like you're cross-examining, not more like, it is that you are cross-examining the witness instead of asking those open-ended questions like a direct examination. So hostile just means you're kind of flipping them and treating them as if the other side called them because when the defense calls a witness, the DA gets to cross-examine and vice versa. But yes, this means the witness gets to be cross-examined twice because they are, you know, the opposing witness to the defense because they were called by the DA. So that is why you you have this term hostile witness that I think gets confused because in our everyday life, the word hostile means something different than this term of art as a hostile witness. It really is treating them as an opposing witness um, because you get to cross-examine them. But oftentimes, oftentimes, they often feel very, very hostile when they don't want to talk to you. You know, there's there's the witnesses when you when you ask them, Good morning, how are you doing today? And you can see on their face that the answer they want to give you is not well, bitch. How are you? I think the most hostile answer I personally ever received was, good morning, witness such and such. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And the response was simply, fuck you. I don't want to be here. And you're like, well, at least we're all, we're all clear on how that's going to go today. Um, which when I get asked if the Brooks case is the wildest thing I've ever seen, I think it's the most sustained wildness. A court can definitely go off the rails very quickly. Emotions are very high. So DDA Mueller, in his redirect later in the morning, focused on the quote-unquote trouble that um, the first alleged victim, Jen B, told Fabos she would get in with Scientology if she made too big a fuss about the 2003 assault. The witness also testified about meeting with Jen B two decades ago in LA coffee houses where she described the attack by Masterson in April 2003. And I should say, I completely dropped the word alleged attack out of there. It is in the article because again, these have not been proven. These are before court now. Um, the witness said that they don't remember her words verbatim. Yet under the questioning from the prosecutor, the witness offered instances and impressions of what he had been talking to the alleged victim about and about a phone call they had had where they discussed the prior conversations. And this witness was retelling what they had been told by the first alleged victim that testified, again, talking about the drink she consumed um, and, and how it made her feel and the things that happened and the fear of getting in trouble with Scientology, with the church. And it's very helpful, again, for the prosecution when they're dealing with reporting to police being delayed when they're dealing with the case being brought later to show that during the time when this happened, she was saying these things to others and was telling others about these events, which is why this is coming up and why the questions about Scientology and her fear is coming up. After the completion of that testimony, Jane Doe number two was the next witness to testify um, the media had expected attorney Marty Singer to testify about NDAs that uh, had been signed, but there was a scheduling conflict. Looks like that is going to 
happen possibly next week, which will be very interesting having an attorney testify about things like NDAs with regard to not just the Church of Scientology, but these allegations. So I'm very interested to see that testimony. But now they are into Jane Doe 2's testimony um, with a number of similarities to the testimony from Jane Doe number one. This case is scheduled to go to the end of November. Um, the courtroom is dark on Wednesday, and we will see where we go from here. But this is going to be a lot of a defense case once we get into it. And hopefully we'll see more from, from what these witnesses are testifying to. The defense attorney is definitely trying their case vigorously. And we've seen that with all of the uh, different requests that have been made that I talked about last week, getting into testimony early this week to record this episode of the podcast. So I will be keeping an eye on this case. I'm sure there is more that will come up, but for now they are going through the alleged victims' testimonies one by one. And I think going through them kind of back to back, if there is a pattern of behavior, if there are similarities, having these witnesses testify close in time to each other will allow the jury to to draw those similarities for themselves as they're hearing as they're hearing testimony after testimony after testimony. And speaking of testimony getting underway, we need to talk real quick about the Weinstein case. I'm going to take this moment to remind you that defense attorneys have to do their job. And as we get into what was said during opening statements, I imagine it's going to piss a number of you off. I understand that absolutely entirely. The defense attorneys in this case are going to argue um, that these were all consensual encounters and that the casting couch is more of a trade. And well, it is distasteful to talk about, and, and I have my own feelings about it. These are the things that are argued to a jury. And I think just saying it, it pisses me off, so I don't want to talk about it, isn't really helpful to anyone. Because if you aren't in these courtrooms, and a lot of these cases aren't televised, if you're not watching the way these cases go down, these are the things that are argued to the jury. And this case is a powerful example. Um, this deadline article that we are going to go through really pointed out some very specific details that um, that I didn't know going into this case and that I was like, oh, ew, okay, ew, this is happening. But also, we are adults. This is an adult podcast, and we are able to talk about difficult things. So I appreciate you for being honored and being able to to just understand defense attorneys are doing their jobs and and to really look at the way these cases are being argued to a jury. I wonder if these arguments in 2022 are going to fall flat. And I would love to hear your feedback on that and whether you think these arguments in opening might be a bit out of touch. I want to know your opinion on it. I definitely know how I feel about it. I know how I feel about it. I have all of the thoughts. Thoughts and I have thoughts and feelings. I have many thoughts and feelings. But my thoughts and feelings aside, let's get into what is going on in court. In the Weinstein case, just down the hall from the Masterson case, there's just, I was talking to a friend of mine today um, who also has a trial going on in the downtown courthouse. I'm like, how's it going? She's like, yeah, there's all kinds of fucked up shit going on downtown. I'm like, sounds about right. Sounds about right. I know what unit you're in. I know what your colleagues are trying. And um, and then there's this. So to everyone who's having to deal with the CCB elevators, <laughs> my thoughts are with you. And I don't miss having to get into those elevators. I just get to sit in my chair in my office all day. All right, let's, Emily, are you procrastinating because this is all awful? Yes, yes, a little, yes, a little bit. Yes, a little bit. Yes, I am. We reminisced for a moment there. Thank you for indulging me. Let's talk about, let's just talk about, we just have to talk about Weinstein. So this is coming again from Deadline. Their reporting has been uh, really some of the quickest to come out that I've seen, and they are covering both of these trials really, really closely. So this is the first report out from the day, and then we will we will back up in the article to go to what happened in the afternoon. Uh, prosecutor Paul Thompson started with their openings talking about how multiple accusers will provide graphic and violent accounts of their assaults by Weinstein during this trial. 
Deputy District Attorney Thompson did not directly name the accusers, but did identify one as the wife of Governor Gavin Newsom. Now, Mrs. Newsom, Jennifer Newsom's um, attorney had identified her to the media prior to this trial that she would be a accuser in this trial, she would be an alleged victim in this trial, and she would be talking about her assault at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. So it's not um, surprising that that came up in opening, seeing that it is information that is known. The DA outlined what they expect her testimony to be, um, talked about how she responded to it, talked about what Weinstein said to her before this assault, and talked a little bit about what happened afterwards, where she still had to interact in circles with Weinstein, and he did end up donating to who would then become her husband's political campaigns. The DA also highlighted, as this article says, in his opening statement, Thompson ran through the accounts of other accusers, highlighting some of the commonalities in Weinstein's behavior, but telling the jury that, quote, each of these women came forward independent of each other, and none of them knew each other. And he displayed photos of the women on the screen near the jury box. He also said that most of the victims just, just hang on, just, he also said that most of the victims would describe unique things about Weinstein's body, that Weinstein had surgery for an infection in 1999 that caused scarring in the bits down there. None of the women will describe his anatomy perfectly, but most of them will be able to describe these abnormalities that they observed during his assault. It, it, ju it just, it just. And then we get to the defense opening arguments by attorney Mark Worksman, who told jurors Monday that the case against his client will, quote, evaporate upon your close scrutiny, arguing that the numerous allegations were in fact consensual sex or fabricated. He argued that the evidence in this case is based on emotion and not facts, that the accusers were taking part in what he called, quote unquote, transactional sex. Quote, it was the casting couch, he said. Everyone did it. He did it. They did it because they each wanted something from another, end quote. He then goes on to say in his opening statement to the jury, now look at him, referencing Weinstein. He's not Brad Pitt or George Clooney. Do you think these beautiful women had sex with him because he's hot? They did it because he's powerful. That happened. That, that happened? That happened. I, I can't imagine sitting in this courtroom and hearing that being the opening. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, look, look at the man. Beautiful women aren't sleeping with him because he's hot. Well, no, they're saying that they're not having consensual sex with him. In fact, that's what the, that's what the entire case is about. And I think the attitude of this is transactional is going to seem appalling to jurors. But we will see. We will see what they think. I think it would be a, oh, this is the attitude that led us here. This is the entitlement. This is, well, I'm going to just get back to the article before I just start yelling. He claimed, this is the defense attorney in opening, according to Deadline, claimed that, quote, an asteroid called the Me Too movement struck with such ferocity that everything changed overnight and Mr. Weinstein became the epicenter of the Me Too movement. Quote, the accusers in this case, women who willingly played the dame. Oh, no, I think that's a typo. I think that's got to be played the game by the rules that applied back then. They will come into this courtroom now with their lawyers in tow and claim they were raped and sexually assaulted. They have to lie to themselves to make what they did consensually back then seem like it was forced upon them. Uh, uh, it goes on. It goes on. Emily, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. The, this is not the end of the opening. He told jurors that they would not see any eyewitness corroboration of the sexual assault claims, nor would there be forensic evidence. Quote, you will not see a single Jane Doe reported to the police that she had been sexually assaulted until five years after the fact. Gee, I wonder why that is. Okay, keep going, keep going. Quote, you will see reams of emails and texts from the very women who accuse him of sexual assault, asking him for future meetings, expressing regret that they did not, that they didn't see him and asking for favors. He went through the list of accusers in an effort to cast doubts on their claims. 
That included Jennifer Newsom, wife of Governor Gavin Newsom. Worksman said that Seibel Newsom, Jennifer Newsom, identified as Jane Doe 4, had consensual sexual relations with Weinstein because she wanted help getting roles and producing films. Quote, I'm reading what this attorney said. I'm going to try to say this without rage. This is what's being argued to this jury. Quote, she made herself a prominent victim in the Me Too movement. Otherwise, she'd be just another bimbo with Weinstein to get ahead in Hollywood. The defense attorney in his opening referred to Jennifer Newsom's claim that she went limp and quote-unquote dead inside when Weinstein allegedly raped her, but he claimed that she faked an orgasm with Weinstein during the alleged assault. She did not communicate lack of consent, just the opposite. Weinstein actually and reasonably believed that she had consented due to the fake orgasm. That, that was in their opening. That was their that was their opening. The defense attorney also noted that Jennifer Newsom later sent Weinstein an email thanking him for inviting her and Newsom to a party. Quote, she brought her husband to a party with the man who raped her. Who does that? Well, this is okay, there's more to the article. Sorry. I'm reining it in. I'm reining it in. And then we're going to talk about power dynamics. <sighs> he also noted that Weinstein's that Weinstein donated to Newsom's campaigns for mayor of San Francisco and for lieutenant governor. He took money from his wife's rapist to advance his political campaigns. That's the type of stuff you're dealing with in this case, end quote, from opening statements. The article goes on to point out that it's unclear if Jennifer Newsom told her husband of the allegations. Um, Not all, not all, not most, in my experience, victims of assault always disclose that to their partners. They don't. They don't. Failure to disclose, uh, uh, in part because of the attitudes in this opening statement, is is very, very real and very much something that um, victims and survivors have to deal with and have to grapple with. And whether they want to work with it in therapy and shove it way down in a box and not deal with it, or whether they want to take on one of the most powerful people in Hollywood and get blackballed out of their career. That is a calculus they have to make. But once one stood up, Rose McGowan stood up and said, I'm not going to remain silent, it paved the way for others to come forward um, with regards specifically to Weinstein, showing that there is power in numbers, but also showing how many numbers that there were. So this is going to be a contentious case, as you can see from the opening statements, saying that essentially, tell me if I'm tell me if I'm reading too much into this. But essentially, well, prior to me too, the casting the casting couch was fine, like it was fine. That's just that's just how business was done, and everyone knew it, so it's all right. I know there's a lot of size in this. It just it I it that that opening statement went in to all all of that in, in just in a way that I I wonder if it will fall flat, but I also don't know the age and demographic of this jury. Um I do know they're going to be in trial through the end of November. This jury is predominantly men, but with some women. I can't imagine. I I just can't imagine some of that not feeling gross to the jury sitting there listening to this is how business was done. These women are just trying to live with themselves for making the choice to have this interaction with Weinstein. That's not, I think, how the testimony is going to come in um, from the district attorneys, but we will see what this jury decides to do with this case um, late in November, early in December. They, I think they've given this um, two months for trial. I just, I still can't believe that all of that was in the opening statements. I want to know your thoughts on it. We're going to move on to talk a bit about the Brooks trial. We have another sponsor for today's podcast, which given the topic of this podcast is a bit of an awkward fit, to be perfectly honest. However, I do schedule out our sponsor's months in advance. 
And Manscaped has been such an incredible supporter of the show that allows me to talk about topics like this without having to worry about how the platforms will handle it. This is the power of a podcast is that podcasting uh, platforms do not limit reach on podcasts based on the fact that we've said words that are disfavored on other platforms like YouTube. So even though it does, and I wanted to acknowledge and, and share that that's the next sponsor coming up, but it's because of the sponsors on the podcast that we're able to tackle some of these topics that I can't necessarily tackle as easily in a live stream on YouTube. So thank you to Manscaped for always being a sponsor of the show and, and really a tremendous supporter of the show to allow me to do what I do here. And we're going to talk about the Brooks trial next. Just because spooky season is upon us doesn't mean your personal grooming needs to be spooky. Manscaped has you covered to keep the weeds whacked, the, the lawn mowed, and to keep it from being an absolute bloodbath. Look, I love the Manscaped products. Not only are they high quality, I love that the Lawnmower 4.0 helps to reduce nicks, reduce the risk of ingrown hairs, which are actually terrifying and painful, and reduce the risk of all other grooming accidents. Plus, the Weed Whacker takes care of the hair up there. Yeah, nose and ear hair look. If you don't have a good nose hair trimmer, just take my word for it. And use code LAWNERD for 20% off and free shipping. That's right, code LAWNERD for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Plus, if you're interested in just getting the performance package to despookify all of the grooming, you'll get the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, and the Liquid Formulations, plus two free gifts, including the Tool Shed, which is a great little bag to take all of your goodies with you for when you travel. All right, let's get back to today's show. Let's talk about what's going on with Daryl Brooks in Wisconsin. This trial has been going on now for 16, 15, 16 days. This defendant is representing themselves. I'm going to give a brief TLDR on the case and then talk about some of the things that have come up the most in this case. And tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow from when I'm recording, but yesterday from when you're listening, the closing arguments in this case are happening. I don't know how that's going to go. I'm going to live stream it. You can go find it. If there's an update to this case, I will update it at the end of the episode if I can. If not, it will be on my social media and in the description, and I will link to that if it's in a short over on my shorts channel and on social. But closing arguments are coming. This defendant's representing himself. This case is the Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas Parade uh, killings. This defendant is accused of driving uh, his vehicle through the parade route, killing six, injuring 60-odd more. There's over 70 charges in this case. The jury instructions today, I gasped audibly when the judge said, it will probably take me five hours to go through the jury instructions before we get to closing arguments. This defendant has chosen to represent themselves. So they are pro per or pro se. It's said differently depending on the jurisdiction, but it means the same thing, self-represented. This defendant has been his own lawyer through this very, very substantial murder trial. And he has been difficult at best. He has been trying to use sovereign citizen tactics. We'll talk about what a sovereign citizen is in just a moment. He has been disrespectful. He has been defiant. He has argued with the judge. The judge keeps removing him back and forth to a separate courtroom. There's a side courtroom that has an audio visual setup where he can be muted if he starts screaming at the judge or saying things he shouldn't say in front of the jury. The judge has tried to keep him in the main courtroom so that it's not he's not disadvantaged in front of the jury or in the eyes of the jury because he's in a separate courtroom where they can't see him. I was worried about how his opening statement would go earlier this week and his opening statement actually was pretty decent. He made a few arguments that could go to things like intent and 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 whether there was actually the intent to meet um meet or enough intent to meet the the standard for these homicide charges and had a pretty linear and an emotional 
opening nonetheless, and then got into his witnesses this week. The reason the defense opening statements were late is because he reserved his opening statement. So the prosecution gave their opening, the defense reserved theirs, the prosecution went through all of their witnesses, they rested, the defense gave their opening statement, their witnesses. Today, the defense was going to rest and then refused to call a witness, refused to acknowledge if he was going to testify or not. So the judge deemed him rested. It's a pretty large legal maneuver to just say, okay, you're done. Like Nicole Byer up here, you're done, you're done, you're done. The judge made an extensive record about it. And then later in the morning, he was like, what? you can't even say that I've rested. And the judge is like, that's what happened. And he's like, I reserved my rights. That's not how that works. This defendant is both playing with, I don't understand, and making some very cogent and cognizant arguments. He chose to represent himself. He was warned at length about the perils of representing himself. He is supposed to be treated like any other attorney would be treated. He's been giving way more leeway than any attorney would ever be given and way more leeway than I've ever seen a pro per be given. This judge has given a tremendous amount of grace. And I think it's because the evidence in this case is overwhelming, but this causes a problem for closing argument. There are rules, very, very specific rules about what can be argued in closing. I think my opinion entirely that this defendant believes that they can get up there and testify through closing argument, and then they don't have to be cross-examined. They can just say whatever. At the end of court today, we heard him talking about jury nullification, which is the idea that if the jurors don't like a law, they can just fucking ignore it. No, you can't argue to a jury, hey, if you think this law is bullshit, just ignore it. It doesn't mean juries don't sometimes do that. But you can't argue to them that they should. You can't argue based on sympathy. You can't say, this defendant can't get up there in closing and say, hey, you, I've been railroaded by the government. I've not been given a fair trial. This is all biased. Look, I'm just, I'm just me. How am I supposed to defend myself against all these prosecutors? There's three of them, all these prosecutors and this judge that are against me. I'm the odd man out in the system. He can't argue that he hasn't had adequate representation because he chose to represent himself. There's a lot of other things he can't say in closing. He can't testify. He can't close and argue things that aren't in evidence, which he was trying to do today. He was trying to get in today to the fact that the car had a recall. It's very clear there was no recall on the vehicle. He's trying to argue operation of the vehicle, but has not done it. There's no evidence of that. But he was arguing that today. It, I imagine that he'll try to bring it up in closing. And the prosecution has a limited remedy once the shit's already out of the horse. Once he says the things that the jury's heard that this defendant might say things in closing argument that could potentially warrant a mistrial. After 15 days of testimony, after witnesses who have had family members harmed, lost, who have been injured themselves, after all of that, this defendant could potentially go off the rails in a way where the prosecution has to contemplate whether they ask for a mistrial based on what he says in closing statement. Because the prosecution only has the option of asking before a jury comes back. They can't wait and see if the jury comes back not guilty on stuff and then ask for it. Jeopardy's attached. You're done at that point. The mistrial would have to occur if the prosecution's asking for it before the jury comes back with a verdict. If he's convicted, he can appeal it. But if he's acquitted, the prosecution can't. So it puts the prosecution in a very difficult position tomorrow where they are going to have to object and object and object. And this defendant is not going to adhere to the rules of court based on everything he's shown in his testimony. They object. He's not going to stop and wait for a ruling. I think the judge is going to have to put him in the overflow room where the judge can mute him just to protect from the prosecution having to ask for a mistrial and having to do this entire trial again, which is a real possibility based on the way that he's been acting. Most of this has been outside the presence of the jury, but during closing, it will not be outside the presence of the jury. And it has the potential to be an unmitigated disaster, which is why I'll be live streaming all of it to see what happens. 
because now I'm invested. This defendant, I think, has tried every which way to prolong this, um, to to question witnesses, including the mother of his children, in a in a ugh, in a very kind of controlling way. For me, he is asserting that he's a sovereign citizen, which means he doesn't believe that the rules of the government apply to him at all. But then he's also yelling at the judge that she's trampling his constitutional rights. Well, either the Constitution applies to you or it doesn't. It's not halvesies. So it doesn't seem that he has been a sovereign citizen for long. It seems that he is. this is something he's adopted in the years since he's been in custody and trying to use this to get out of this charge somehow. He keeps saying that the court does not have subject matter jurisdiction. Let's just talk about subject matter jurisdiction real quick because it's more than just a scene from Legally Blonde. If, look, if I was sassier, I would clip in, you know, this scene with Vivian Kensington and and the professor talking about, did diversity jurisdiction exist in this case? No, it did not. But I'm not going to. I'm just going to replay it in my head. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give you the Black's Law Dictionary definition of subject matter jurisdiction and then the Emily definition of subject matter jurisdiction. This is actually my law dictionary from law school because we had to keep at least one book and this one's actually the most helpful. Subject matter jurisdiction, Mr. Brooks. Jurisdiction over the nature of the case and type of relief sought, the extent to which the court can rule on the conduct of persons or the status of things, also termed jurisdiction of the subject matter. The court can hear this shit. Guess what state courts can do? Yeah, they can oversee criminal proceedings. They sure can. So he keeps saying subject matter jurisdiction hasn't been ruled on on the record. At the end of the day today, the court actually said, I am not addressing any more of the nonsense arguments. These are common tactics by sovereign citizens that have been adjudicated and rejected by courts. Subject matter jurisdiction has to be present, but the subject matter of criminal prosecutions is granted to the state court. This is not an um, this is not a thing. This is not a thing at all. It's not even it's not even an echo of maybe a thing. So he keeps trying to say that the court has not proved subject matter jurisdiction. The court has given him a written ruling on this, which is beyond. There is no doubt in my mind that this judge has had to pull more case law for this trial than probably any trial in her career because she has to keep making rulings that you would never have to make if the defendant was represented by a defense attorney. Do I think it was a good choice on his part? No. Do I think it's about exerting control over this courtroom and being heard? Yes. Do I think it's about delaying and trying to find some way out of this? Possibly. But it's not going to work. His best bet was to have attorneys that could argue that they hadn't proven the higher degree of homicide and tried to get this down from a first-degree intentional murder to a lesser degree of murder. That's not going to happen. He's not going to, I think, make those arguments successfully. At the end of the day today, he was arguing that there was a gold eagle on the top of the flags in the courtroom, as I'm sure you've all seen, because you've probably been in. If you have not been in a U.S. government building for our international audience, often U.S. flags will have a golden eagle um, on the top of the flag. He said that that was a military symbol, and therefore he wants to know if this is a military court or an admiralty court, which governs maritime law. Um, This didn't happen on open seas, sir. It happened at a parade you drove through in a vehicle, you're accused of driving through in a vehicle, I should say. So he was asking if it was civil law or admiralty law or military law, whether the judge was a military tribunal, just on and on. Today, the judge lost her patience. Tomorrow is going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting. I don't know how this is going to go. I imagine, based on all the evidence that I've seen, that he will be convicted at the end of this trial. Um, There will probably be an appeal on that. I imagine that the appeal will not, well, it can't really touch 
him representing himself, but it can get into whether he could have gotten a fair trial in this venue, um, whether the judge could hear this case because the judge is has worked with someone who had um, family that was impacted by this case, but disclosed it all on the record when this defendant still had attorneys. And that issue did not cause this judge to be um, recused from the case or to recuse herself from the case. So I think they will try to pull things up for appeal. We will see. There's over 107 pages of jury instructions and over 74, well, it would be duplicate of that. So 74 uh, verdict forms, but there would be a not guilty and a guilty. So double that. It is going to take this jury a bit of time. We learned that each side will have an hour for closings, that the jury will be sequestered in a hotel. They were told to report to court with an overnight bag so they can deliberate as long as they want because they'll be at a hotel, that the alternates will also be sequestered separate and apart just so that, um, well, they were worried about COVID exposure truly. And so they were talking about keeping the alternates also sequestered. The alternates have not been selected yet. So all the jurors that are showing up, all 15, could be deliberating by tomorrow evening. We will see, well, yesterday evening as this podcast comes out. I will be interested to see how long this jury takes to come back. I will be interested to see what happens at verdict. I'm sure everyone's a bit on edge because the defendant's behavior has been unpredictable, but not because it's starting to become more and more predictable that when he doesn't like a ruling is when the behavior amplifies. And when he's getting his way, the behavior kind of settles down. And so we will see. Well, this episode needed an update because on October 26th at 10.45 Central Standard Time, after just a very few hours of deliberation, the Daryl Brooks jury came back with guilty verdicts on every single one of the 76 counts he was facing. His closing arguments were interesting. He said that he had no regrets, that his conscience is clear. He did not say it wasn't him. He did not say he was not guilty. He did not ask them to find him not guilty. He told the jury to do what was in their heart. He said that he was a Christian, that that's how he lived his life, that he trusted them to do what was right. And who knows why the Lord does what he does, essentially. It was a very interesting and at points angering closing argument. This jury came back very quick and very clearly with verdicts. He will be sentenced at some future time on October 31st. There is going to be a sentencing hearing with the judge to determine how much time is needed for sentencing, how many victim impact statements will be made, whether Daryl Brooks will have people to speak on his behalf to ask for um, a reduction in sentencing or just to speak to the court about him. So the court will need to decide how many days or day is needed to set aside for that. And then he will be sentenced likely to multiple life sentences and will be in prison for the rest of his life after this. This went from the murders to the verdict in under a year because this happened at the end of November in 2021. So this community, hopefully before the holidays uh, this year, will have a chance to start to heal. It was very interesting to see how swiftly this jury came back. I was surprised with how much paperwork they had to do, but it's clear that they felt very strongly about this case. And that is the update. The last few days of what went down in this trial are up on my YouTube channel as I live streamed coverage of the trial with so many of you. So that is the end of the Brooks case. Thank you for being here. All right. We should probably just go to the outro now. Look, not legal advice, but lawyers exist for a reason. Law school exists for a reason. There's a lot that you can't possibly know unless you've done this job. I would even say having a civil lawyer come in on a criminal case is not a good idea. If this is not a traffic fine where you're looking at maybe just not having any points on your license, representing yourself might not be for you. Talk to an attorney. Talk to, talk to an attorney. Just talk to an attorney. That's where That's where we're at. And a lot of defendants feel like public defenders because they are government lawyers are somehow in cahoots with the prosecution and the judge. That's that's not what happens. They choose their jobs to fight for the constitutional rights of defendants to make sure that the government doesn't overstep their job and they do fantastic work. So it's it's always mind-boggling for me to see 
good attorneys that are appointed to these defendants and these defendants having absolutely no respect for them. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing to see. But um with that, because you know, I've had the the blessing of working with some really, really great uh public defenders and knowing some really great public defenders. Not that I don't also know tremendous amount of excellent district attorneys because I do. It's the thing I miss most about being a DA truly are my colleagues. So with all of that, we've reminisced way too much. This is why we don't cover a ton of criminal cases because it'll just be a whole back in my day fest. And God, I don't want to be that. Sometimes it's going to happen though. Yes, I have done a pro per trial. No, it did not go off the rails like this. It was a very stern judge uh, in Long Beach who kept very good control over the courtroom. And um, that trial was very quick. I had very good witnesses and a very, very stern victim who was not going to be rattled by being questioned by the person that had stabbed them repeatedly. So I have dealt with sovereign citizens. I had a sovereign citizen steal a house once. That is probably a story for another day because Actually, it happens more than you would think, but this episode has already gotten kind of long. So that is a story for another podcast. Maybe we will have to talk a little bit more about the shenanigans of sovereign citizens. And with that, I have to thank you for being here. Thank you for being a lawner. Thank you for letting me round up what's going on in these trials. We will get back to some other deep dive topics. There's a lot that I want to cover. It's just these trials have been kind of omnipresent over the last uh, week or so. And it is, it's really what's, what's pressing at the moment. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being honored. I can't wait to hear your thoughts down below. Let me know. Don't forget if you're on the audio apps to like do the review thing, it helps the podcast get found and raise a glass. It's time to say goodbye. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful and your peanut butter. Is anyone else having like a massive peanut butter shortage? I'm sorry to sidebar myself during my closing, but peanut butter, peanut butter. Why is there no peanut butter where I live? Multiple, multiple different grocery stores. No peanut butter. It's bananas. Let me know if you have peanut butter where you live. May your peanut butter be plentiful. We can, we can see that Emily sometimes eats like a third grader. Yes. I love a peanut butter sandwich. May your gas not be $7 a gallon. May your families be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Stay hydrated, my friends. And I will talk to you in the next one. It's not even an echo of maybe a thing. So the fact that... Can you say that again? I didn't mean you, Echo. Shit, that scared me. It's for the outtakes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cancel.